This evening, our scripture reading comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to begin here, Mark chapter 1. We'll read the first 13 verses. Mark 1, we'll read verses 1 through 13. My comments will be focused on verses 4 through 13, but it's good to read verses 1 through 3 for the context. So let's read together tonight God's word. Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea, those from Jerusalem, went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me. Who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Do you join me tonight as we pray and ask the Lord to bless our time now as we consider these words which we've just heard. O Father, as we come before you again this evening, we come here tonight into this place, hungry for the truth. Our souls need to be fed by your holy, perfect word. And Father, we ask that you would do that tonight, that through the truths that we have just read, that you will feed our souls, that you will comfort us who are in distress, And that you will give to us a reminder of the wonderful gospel promise that for all who repent, who all who turn from their sin and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he promises through his person and work to forgive all of their sins. Father, we come here tonight to hear again that wonderful promise of forgiveness. We ask that you will bless us, give us eyes to see and hearts to believe. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, as we begin uh, this evening, I'd like for you to imagine with me that um, you're still in church, but let's just imagine uh, for a moment that you're in a theater. Um, and it's a, it, in the theater, it's just before a play or a performance is about to begin. 
Usually in a, when a play or performance is about to begin, all the, the lights are out, right? It's dark. Um, all the stage lights are dark. Uh, but if the curtain's drawn, you can kind of start to see uh, some of the outline of the scenery. Uh, you might be able to see some, uh, somebody move um, in the background. And now imagine with all the lights still out, the words of Isaiah echo through the theater. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And after the words of Isaiah conclude, the stage lights fade on, slowly fade up to reveal the very first character on stage. And this man is John. He appeared baptizing in the wilderness. This man, John, as he stands on stage, notice how he's dressed. He is a man clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his, ra- around his waist. And for some reason, he has a really strange diet. He eats locusts and honey. But notice that John is also set in a particular setting. The scenery tells us that John is in a stark, a dry, and inhospitable place. He's in the wilderness. He's in the desert. We know that John is that voice that cried out in Isaiah in verse 3 here in Mark chapter 1. John is that voice who is crying where? In the wilderness. And what is he crying? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. This crazy guy who eats locusts, who eats honey, who's dressed really weird, he is going to prepare the way for the Lord. And from this wilderness surrounding, John pronounces, he preaches, really, he proclaims. And notice what he proclaims, a baptism of repentance for the remission or for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 4. And as John stands out here in the wilderness, notice what happens. Notice the response that John gets. It's actually almost like a a revival in some ways. Verse 5. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, and they were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. These pilgrims go out to John, to this stark, inhospitable, to the wilderness, to wade through dirty water because they had heard John proclaim this promise of repentance for the remission of sins. Repentance here means uh, that these people are they're turning from the sins of Israel's past. They're not going to do what their fathers did. They understand their sin. They're repenting of it. But they're also hopeful. They're also hopeful that God is going to extend His grace. That He will forgive their sins. These people, as they go out to John, they need assurance that God is going to forgive their sins. That He is going to extend them His grace. And brothers and sisters, that's what all of us need from God as well. That's the longing of every one of our hearts. 
is that we need um, not only that we turn from our sin and repentance, but we need the assurance that God will forgive our sins. We need our hearts long for the assurance of forgiveness. Just as all of these pilgrims, all of Judea and Jerusalem, go out to John, notice, confessing their sins. But John really isn't the main point here. Right? Again, John is the one who's preparing the way. He is an important character in Mark's story, but he's the forerunner. He's the herald. He's the one who goes first. While he leads repentant and needy sinners uh, through this baptism, which is really a reenactment of the Exodus into the promised land, it is in this context that the Lord himself finally comes onto the stage. Verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And it is his arrival, it is his coming that is the assurance to God's people that he will forgive their sin. That God will extend his grace. And since Jesus has arrived, Since Jesus has come, we can be certain of God's forgiveness. Because of the incarnation, because God the Son came to this world and took on flesh, because he came from Nazareth of Galilee to be baptized by John, we, you, brothers and sisters, can be assured of God's forgiveness. And we have the assurance of God's forgiveness Because Jesus is three things that we see tonight. Jesus is God's mighty Son. Secondly, Jesus is God's humble Son. And thirdly, we see that Jesus is God's obedient Son. So firstly then, God's mighty Son. Again, the first character here that we meet is John the Baptist or more properly known as John the Presbyterian. That was a joke, yeah. John is all that is old, and he's everything that is new. John stands with one foot in the Old Testament, and one foot firmly planted in the new. John is the one who prepares the way for God's mighty Son. But Mark's description here of John's ministry really focuses our attention on two things. It focuses our attention on, firstly, the significance of repentance, and secondly, the significance of the Jordan River. Notice that John performs a water baptism. He says that later, that he baptized with water, and it is a baptism of repentance, That is, the one who participates in John's baptism is saying, I am turning from all those sins of our fathers. I am turning from the sins of Israel's past. And if we read back in the Old Testament, what is the reoccurring sin of God's people in the Old Testament? It's idolatry. And so the people coming out here from Judea and Jerusalem are saying, we're repenting, we're no longer going to serve um, the idols. But Mark also tells us that John oversees this baptism of repentance. Notice, 
in the wilderness. Remember, that's the scenery of this drama. That's the setting here. It's the desert. But notice it's in the wilderness where? In the Jordan River. This place is not accidental. Uh, Mark and John and uh, God the Holy Spirit and God's providence, this, this place is significant. John could have chosen a number of places to baptize. He could have done it in the Sea of Galilee. He could have done it in, in any other body of water. But the Jordan River is significant. He chose the Jordan, which was the gate into the promised land. And it is the place where Israel reenacted the Red Sea crossing. If you remember your Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 3, God's people come to the Jordan River, and they can't cross it. So what happens? All the water piles up, and God's people can pass through on dry ground into the promised land. What does that sound like? That sounds like what happened at the Red Sea, right? Where God parted the waters, and God's people passed through on dry ground. And so John then is very intentionally uh, drawing our attention to both of these uh, uh, actions in redemptive history, both God's people entering into the promised land, which was itself a reenactment of the crossing of the Red Sea. But notice here that John preaches um, not about himself, but he preaches about someone, this one whose way he is preparing. Right? Verse 7. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. John preached about this other character who was going to come after him. And the one to come after him, John admits, he says, he's mightier than I. He's greater than I. He has more authority than I. He has more power than me. And we know that the one coming after John is mightier than him because he has, the one coming after John has a more uh, superior baptism. Right? Notice what John says in verse 8. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is often called John the Baptist or the baptizer. But John admits for us here that there's another baptizer coming after him. He's actually the baptizer. John's baptism with water is a mere shadow The baptism of this one who is mightier than John is going to baptize with the reality the very Holy Spirit of God. And this one coming after John then is God's Son. And because he will baptize with the Holy Spirit, he is mightier than John. He is God's mighty Son. But this one who's coming after John is also God's humble son. God's humble son. Jesus, if we would have met him in real life, he probably would not have lived up to our expectations of what a king uh, or what the son of God 
was supposed to look like. In many ways, Jesus was ordinary, regular, simple. He was, right, he had true humanity. He was a true human. And so we see throughout, uh, as, as, John descri- as Mark describes him here, he is humble, God's humble son. And he finally comes on the scene here in verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, the last time we heard this name Jesus, and I think Pastor Todd talked about this this morning, right? What the name Jesus means. It means the Lord saves. And we heard that, 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 that name uh, back in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We don't hear the name Jesus again here until verse 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus, God saves, the Lord saves, came from Nazareth of Galilee. We finally meet the main character of Mark's story. It's not John, it's this man, Jesus Christ. But Mark tells us where Jesus came from. He came from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus doesn't come from the center of political power. He doesn't come from the place of religious influence, Jerusalem. He comes from the backwater town of Nazareth. Jesus arrives on the scene here in Mark's story as God's humble son. From the regular, from the simple, from the ho-hum town of Nazareth. And John, who admitted that he is unworthy to untie this man's sandals, and yet, as Jesus comes uh, to John here in the wilderness, in the Jordan, he, notice he allows himself to be baptized by John. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Remember, right, John's baptism signifies Israel's baptism through the Red Sea. But it is also Israel's baptism at this very spot here, right at the Jordan River where God's people again pass through on dry ground. Boys and girls, if we think about it, and we remember what happens in the Old Testament, who else was baptized in the Red Sea besides God's people? Who actually got wet in the Red Sea? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And actually, it's very interesting. Our form of baptism helps us understand this. Our form of baptism says this, God drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and his whole army in the Red Sea. And he brought Israel through the sea on dry ground. In this, God revealed the meaning of baptism and his mercies of the covenant in saving his people, notice, who of themselves deserved his condemnation. But Jesus is the mighty, the humble, the perfect Son of God. How could he, why would he need to be baptized if he had never sinned? How could he be condemned? Well, by being baptized by John, Jesus is identifying with sinners who stand condemned under God's just judgment. Sinners who deserve the judgment that Pharaoh 
experienced in the Red Sea. Jesus' baptism signifies that his mission will be to endure the judgment of God. He is God's humble son who identifies with sinners and who takes the curse that sinners deserve. And as God's humble son, notice how as he rises out of the waters of death, one who has, de- has endured a divine judgment, something splendid, magnificent takes place. Verse 10. And immediately, as Jesus comes out of the waters, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is God's humble Son. He has here been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He has been set apart by the Father to fulfill this mission as His beloved Son. Jesus is God's humble Son. But thirdly, we also see here, and we don't want to pass over this um, um, either, uh, because it's interesting how John describes this to us, uh, that Jesus is also God's obedient son. I mean, the other Gospels, uh, we, we hear of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness in a, in a lot more detail. Uh, Mark doesn't give us that much detail here, but it doesn't mean that it's not significant. Uh, Jesus is also God's obedient son. Uh, when I lived in California, uh, we would often go out to visit my wife's family who lived out in the desert, um, almost uh, to Arizona. And on that drive, uh, literally for hours, you would see nothing but sand, rocks, and really short bushes. And the desert is really hot. The desert is not somewhere where you want your car to break down. But it's precisely here in the desert, in this hostile uninhabited and uninviting wilderness that the Lord is going to arrive from. Remember verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Mark again picks up this, this, this setting, uh, this focus on the wilderness. Right? We heard about it in verse 4. Right? That's where John was baptizing. But in his own wandering, like the people of God before him, Jesus here is going to go out into this inhospitable to be tempted in the wilderness. And it's in this setting that we see that Jesus is God's obedient son. He is driven out to the wilderness. Verse 12, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness And he was there in the wilderness 40 days. It's almost as if before the baptism, the the waters of his baptism even dry, that that the Spirit is kind of forcing, is really the language here, driving Jesus out into the wilderness. He is driven out by the Spirit to begin his mission as the Christ, as the Messiah. And these two references to the wilderness uh, really helps us see that uh, what Mark is telling us here is that the wilderness is significant. 
In the Old Testament, the wilderness signified several different things. The wilderness was the place on Mount Sinai where God made his covenant with his people, where he gave it the Ten Commandments. The wilderness is also the, was the place where God's people, did God's people do well in the wilderness? No. It wasn't long after they left Egypt that they started grumbling and complaining and they wanted to go back to Egypt for the, for the onions and the leeks. And so the wilderness is a place of testing where God's people always failed. They always grumbled. So the wilderness is a place of temptation and it's also a place where God makes his covenant. And those are both significant Because Jesus here is going to go into the wilderness to enter into covenant and also to be tested. And we see this this covenant context and we see this this testing um, as as a new type of Adam, as a new man. And notice what happens in verse 13. He is out in the wilderness uh, 40 days, tempted by Satan. He is tempted by Satan. Jesus here is enduring a test or a temptation like Israel did. While he is out in the desert, Jesus encounters the enemy, Satan. Again, boys and girls, remember, who else was tempted by Satan? Adam and Eve. Where were Adam and Eve tempted? In the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is the exact opposite from the wilderness. Jesus' temptation takes place in the wilderness because he has not come to the paradise. He has come to a world infected with the curse of sin, death. God's creation is no longer a paradise but a wilderness of evil and death. Jesus is tempted just like Adam and Eve were tempted. And so we see that Mark is telling us that Jesus is a new, he is a second, he is a better Adam. But Jesus also meets other dangers while he's in uh, in the wilderness. Mark also tells us that he's not, he was not only tempted, and Mark's the only one who gives us this detail. He says, and he was with the wild beasts. Again, this is a distortion of the Garden of Eden. Because remember how Adam and Eve, how when they were in the garden, they dwelled in harmony and peace with all of God's creation, with all of God's creatures. But Jesus doesn't come to that world. The animals in the wilderness are dangerous. They're wild. They're frightening. This again is telling us that Jesus has come to be tempted in a world that is distorted, that is marred, that has been infected by the curse, by sin and death. And all of this, brothers and sisters, underscores for us that Jesus is God's obedient son. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeds. Where Adam disobeyed and gave in to temptation, Jesus Christ obeyed. Jesus is the second Adam. He will fulfill the role of an obedient son. 
Jesus takes upon Himself the obligation. And in the harshness and in the dangers of this cursed and forsaken wilderness, He passes the first test, the first temptation. The desert has been a place of testing in which Israel failed time and time again. But now, a true son of Israel, a new Adam, he has emerged in the wilderness and he has prevailed as the obedient son. Well, brothers and sisters, what does this mean for us uh, this evening as we come uh, to a conclusion tonight? Well, just as children wait for, uh, with anticipation for the visit of a grandparents, or as they wait with great excitement for a Christmas morning, so too we await the coming, the arrival of God's Son. And when He finally comes, when He arrives, it is the greatest news that sinners could ever hear. The arrival of God's Son means that the day of forgiveness, the day of salvation, the day of redemption have come. His arrival means, brothers and sisters, that your sins can be forgiven. John proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the remission, for the forgiveness of sins. John's ministry is a testimony that God extends grace. It assures us that God extends His grace because John preaches it and who comes? Jesus, God's Son, who is mightier than John, who is humble to submit to baptism and is obedient to go out into the wilderness and endure temptation. And this means for us, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus is God's mighty Son. It means that you have been baptized by Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit testifies to you, loved ones, that your sins are forgiven. But it also tells us that God no longer holds our sins against us. He has placed every one of them on His humble Son, the one who endured baptism, the one who went through the waters of death. He endured the punishment and the baptism of a just judgment that we deserve for our own disobedience. But finally, brothers and sisters, it means that Jesus as God's obedient, as God's obedient Son that is a promise to us, loved ones, that God doesn't see you as your sins deserve. In the place of your failure and your sin, God the Father has given and credited to you the obedience of Jesus Christ. Our catechism says, God sees you as if you had never sinned, nor been a sinner. And as if you had been obedient as Christ was obedient for you. Loved ones, God the Father, He has not dealt with you according to your sin. But because of His mighty Son, 
because of his humble son and because of his obedient son, we have the assurance that God forgives our sins. He has already dealt with them in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight, once again, loved ones, trust in God's Son. The Lord who came from Galilee, from Nazareth of Galilee, and trust that He, as your Savior, has forgiven you all of your sins. Amen. Our Father, if you were to regard us according to what we have done and said and thought, we would only be worthy of your just judgment and condemnation. Lord, our sins of our hearts, of our minds, and our souls testify against us. And so we, like those people who went out to be baptized by John, Father, we too, we need, we long for the assurance that you will forgive our sins. And Father, we don't have to wonder and hope for that wonderful promise. But you have given us that promise in your Son, who came to this world of sin and death, who entered this world as the mighty one who will baptize us in the Holy Spirit. He came to this world as the humble one who would submit to baptism, who would take our curse that our sin deserved, who would take your just wrath in our place. And we have the testimony of your obedient Son. Who when he was tempted, did not give in to temptation. But he was perfectly obedient for us. And therefore we stand before you, O Lord, in the wonderful and perfect and faultless righteousness of Jesus Christ. And your Son is the supreme testimony an assurance that our hearts and souls need that you indeed forgive all of our sins. O Lord, in that wonderful promise, may we go out from this place in thanks for the salvation we have in Christ. And may we seek to live lives of, of obedience because of what we have in him. Father, do this in us by the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.